what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm super grateful that you're going to be joining me today. I've got a show for you that ran inside the Discipleship.org collective that featured Paul Hugobart and Rob Schaefer from Grace Chapel, north of Atlanta. These guys talk to us about principles that they're seeing in other countries where disciple-making movements are literally breaking out. They're talking about how do we bring those same principles over to already established North American churches so that we begin to hopefully see those types of movements break out here in the States. I know that that's my prayer and my focus. That's what my church is praying for. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast tells me that that's probably your hope as well. So my hope today for you is that this episode will challenge and encourage you and build you up. And let's be full of hope that this can happen here. All right, let's jump in and hear from Paul and Rob. Here we go. Hey, and welcome this afternoon, especially if you're tuning in live to uh, this conversation that we're having here on the Discipleship.org Collective. Uh, I'll introduce you to myself in just a minute um, as we get going. Uh, I want to tell you real quickly. Um, what we'll be talking about this afternoon, you've probably already seen that. We're talking really about how we as an established church, where, where we are, Rob and myself, uh, here just north of Atlanta at Grace Chapel, are trying to bring some principles of what it looks like to in disciple-making movements into an established church. So that's the conversation you're here for today. So I already mentioned the church that we're with. Um, we're with Grace Chapel just north of Atlanta. My name is Paul Hugobart. I've been here as the lead minister for roughly seven years at this point in time. And part of that time, uh, a big part of the, the reason that I've come here and desired to come here was to see a church become truly a disciple-making church, an established church. So I very much have seen myself as one that is called to minister to uh, the established church as it is, the institutional church kind of sometimes called. Uh, you know, I've had those moments of tension where I felt like, should I go start something new? Should I stay right where I am? And for me, God has confirmed that I should stay where I am in, in, within the institutional established church and work to help this church, especially in North America, uh, become more focused on disciple-making and even seeing, uh, hopefully, some disciple-making movement-type things happen through the established church. So that's my passion. That's why I'm here uh, sharing with you all this afternoon. Also have our uh, discipleship minister, Rob, here with me, so I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Rob Shaver, and I'm the discipleship minister here at Grace Chapel. I've held that position for almost seven months, so <clears throat> kind of a new thing. Uh, but I've known I've known Paul for a while, and an interesting story about even just I think it was about four years ago. And as Grace Chapel was on the the path to really thinking about being more geared to and focused on disciple making, we had a phone call uh, that that dates back to then. I was in New York, and I had been doing some church planting. We were very heavy into trying to make disciples, but didn't really have any uh, very attractional church type setting to to send people to. Uh, and, and so we we kind of married those tensions of mm-hmm. uh, having a discipleship uh, focused thing with no church versus having a church with wanting to get more discipleship. And uh, then four years later, God brought us together. <laughs> so so it's kind of neat. That's the perspective that I'll talk about. You know, yeah. on this when we when we talk through these things is uh, you know just being here six months. Some of the things that I saw that were already in place that I feel like really important. As, as Grace Chapel continues to take good steps forward, and then some of the things that we've done since I've been here. 
Yeah. And, and talking about Rob, you know, God bringing us together, uh, Rob and I didn't see each other until about an hour before, uh, <laughs> before we met to, to do this today. And so uh, we, we both were thinking along the same lines as what shirt to wear today. So uh, if you've already saw that, that, uh, you know, uh, it's just what it is at this point. So, all right. So again, as I mentioned, we're, we're an established church just north of Atlanta. Uh, Grace Chapel has been in existence for roughly 22 years, was a church plant, uh, was planted as kind of an attractional style church as most churches. I mean, that's the predominant model in North America is, is attractional style churches. And so uh, what I mean by that, just we're going to talk about the fact that definitions are important uh, here in just a minute. But what I mean by that is kind of the predominant or prevailing model in, in North America for what churches look like. We try to bring people into our buildings on a Sunday morning. And then from there, we hope that some things will kind of naturally happen. Or sometimes we even have a very developed system for how things happen. But that's basically the predominant model. And what we're looking to see is bringing, and I'll talk about that more, is bringing in disciple-making movement principles. We're going to talk about what those are uh, as well over, over the next hour or so. Um, so that's kind of a snapshot of who we are as a church. We're probably not that different. I, I imagine that most uh, folks that are watching us today are probably uh, church leaders. You may uh, be a pastor working in the church world somewhere, and you're tuning into this conversation because you're also engaging with working with an established church and you also maybe have a passion or want to have a passion for disciple making and even seeing, and I think maybe we're to the point where it's not too soon anymore to use the word, word viral in uh, relation to some other things outside of uh, the COVID world. Um, but, uh, but we'd like to see disciple making become viral here in the United States. And there are a lot of things that have to happen for, for that to actually take place. And some of those I think we'll talk about uh, today. First, you know, some things that we want to acknowledge as we get going. Um, this is a slow process as we're talking about working with established churches. Some have re- referred to that in the sense of, you know, a church is not a speedboat, an established church. Uh, an established church is much more like a cruise ship. And so as you're trying to make a turn with, uh, with a, an established church, in our case, a, a somewhat large established church, you can't do that quickly. It takes time and it takes patience. And so some of the things that we're going to talk about, in fact, even when you hear about some folks talk about what's happening in disciple-making movements across the globe, especially the global South, you may look at that and you get a snapshot of amazing, wonderful things happen, incredible, multiplicative disciple-making happen. And you may think there's no way that can happen here, but that's a lot of times because you don't see what has happened behind the scenes for years to get a church or even a movement to that place of of where the disciple-making has really truly uh, become viral in that. Mm. Yeah, and we live in a culture where we just want everything now or yes, yesterday. Today. Or yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly and, right. And so that's a, a huge thing, I think, just to have that patience and endure yes. through a process, not just to try to get the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, again, established churches don't easily change. We as people don't easily change. And so as church leaders, especially as we've caught, um, maybe we've caught this, this focus, this new vision. Um, we have to be careful with our folks as we lead. And so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the way that could look and the way that we have. But really what we're talking about today is a cultural shift and a cultural transformation. We're not talking about just bringing in some new systems. We're actually talking about principles. And so uh, that, that's very important, I think, especially as we're looking about bringing about cultural change. And it also helps us be patient because if we have a new system, we've got the system, we're seeing it happening somewhere else. We want to bring that package system into our church and we believe like it should happen tomorrow. If we're mm-hmm. talking principles, 
that we actually start to realize these are places where we really fall short in actually being, not just doing. And so we want to make sure that we get the why before the what. Simon Sinek has become uh, famous for saying, start with the why. The way that I want to talk about that today is that we want to have principles before we try to bring in practice. And so I hope uh, that makes sense to you, principles before practice. And we'll talk about some of those uh, principles uh, in just a minute. And, and again, we want to recognize that, that even the things that we talk about today, some of these principles, we're not saying we're the model to follow in any way, shape, or form. We're saying that we're trying to follow others who are leading in this. And in that, we're trying to be leaders ourselves. So you may find yourself further down the road, or you may find yourself years be, uh, behind where we are. And that's, that's okay. I think that's a, the benefit of having a principles-oriented conversation is that we can all get on the same page about principles, even if it's things we're aspiring to, or if there are things that are already rooted within our culture. Yeah. And, and, you know, church people, especially if you've been around for a while, you've seen systems come and systems go. Right. And, and so if something comes up, if a leadership is trying to push some particular model or idea or program and you don't mm-hmm. like it, I mean, you could, you can probably look at that. Like I can outlive this, you know, like this will this will flash yes and then we'll and then if I don't like it we'll eventually get back to the things that I do like and so I can kind of deal with this but when you start to talk about uh, shifting principles or you know the things that undergird the foundational yes. things and, and the goals and the vision where are we going who are we trying to be uh, then you know one of the things that one of the terms that comes up a lot and like at our staff meetings is this idea of a natural tension you know yes. so like we're moving. We're, we're on the move. We're doing something. We're moving a certain way. And at, we don't necessarily need to force certain decisions. We don't need to right. figure certain things out right away because there's going to come a point where that tension is going to arise. Yes. And we're going to say, all right, we, didn't, we don't just go and say we have to kill this program. But now we see if we keep, if we need to, if we keep making disciples, you know, if we're keeping on this path, mm-hmm. then this program does not help that at all. You know, so yes. so what are we going to do with that? And then, and that doesn't even have to come from the top down. The hope is that when you're, when you are changing culture, that's going to come from the bottom up. Yes. That those people that are involved in that program will say, um, our program is not doing anything to make disciples. So we don't really see a need for it anymore. We don't really feel like continuing. It. And then it's kind of like, all right, you're getting it, you know, and, and that doesn't need yeah. to be killed from above. Although, you know, some, some things, sometimes well, it has to, some yeah. things. Yeah. And while we're thinking about tension as well, um, you know, one, one thing that I've noticed is I have conversations with church leaders. So I, I uh, uh, work with a small church consulting group where we actually are trying to help lead people into making the turn into becoming mm-hmm. a, a disciple making churches. One of the tensions that I feel if you start with talking about a system is immediately people start to wonder, well, what does that mean? And what are the implications? Am I doing away with everything that we have in place right now Mm -hmm. to replace it with this whole new system of doing things where what we're talking about is if we could say, okay, so we have the established church, we're talking about bringing in principles that are foundational to disciple making movements and overlaying those over top of the structure of the established church. Now that's going to bring about with it a whole new set of tensions, but they tend to be tensions that you discover along the way as opposed to tensions that are almost forced upon you right at the onset, if you try Mm -hmm. to bring in a system. So uh, a way of thinking about that, again, what we're advocating for is principles, uh, maybe values, you could call them, that then lead to uh, the development of a culture because you hold these values so dear, these principles so dear that they start to shape and develop a culture. And then where a system comes in is to support 
the culture that's developing, as opposed to hoping that we bring in somebody else's system and it's going to change our culture. And, and what I've seen with that, and I think there are many great systems out there. There really right. are, but they've developed in church. They've been developed in churches most of the time, um, or you know maybe not churches. They they've been developed uh, through parachurch organizations or others as well. That uh, that often uh, will have a culture that is established, and the system arises out of that culture. Now you try to bring the system into your place, your church where there is not that established culture. And so now the system actually pushes against the culture. And sometimes we're seeing even churches uh, experience um, a lot more than tension, sometimes division, and sometimes even collapse when that has happened. So again, we're arguing for principles that lead to the development (laughs) of culture that there you may discover your own systems. And we may talk about some things today that that are our developing systems, but for us, it begins with the idea of of principles. Um, And the first thing would be, that making disciples is primary, right? Yes. So it's just kind of ha- getting on board with that and saying, okay, this, because for a long time, the established church, that's, that was there. I mean, pe- nobody would say, no, we don't need, well, maybe somebody would say we don't need to make disciples, but most would not say that. Everybody would agree we need to make disciples, but the, the primary objective seemed to be grow the church, right? Like, the church, this is what right. glorifies God. Or grow this church. Right. is right. a bigger church and and then there's always a little bit of that kind of like competitive nature in us. That yes. kind of like, yeah, I want to grow this church. I want to grow my church. Um, but yeah, the bigger church, that's what people were going for. Bigger is better. Bigger is more pleasing to God. And, uh, you know, whether you were 50 mm-hmm. people trying to grow to 100 right. or 1,000 people trying to get to 5,000, whatever it was, like that was kind of the target that is out in front of, right. of most. Uh, and so... I think what what a lot of people will going that attractional route think what has happened is a lot of the crowd growing has gotten harder, right? The culture yes. we live in. So that creates one of those natural tensions, you know, like, all right, it's harder and harder to grow the crowd. It's also harder and harder to get that crowd to move closer and closer to being part of the core, or part of the commission. Yes. And, um, and, and yep. so that I think has caused a lot of people to say, well, what is this really about? Like, is this even what Jesus is asking for? As we get back to the Gospels, we get back to our Savior, and and we see what He's asking for. He, he never said, uh, "Go get me a big church." Yes. You know, <laughs> go go out and or start making more church churches, members. Right? Yep. More church members. It was about His. He's He'd made disciples, and He calls them to go make disciples. And then the things that He asked them to do, we see them turn around and start to do immediately in Acts. Now we can get. We can get sidetracked from some of the explosion and a big, you know, big churches that pop yes. up in Acts. Yeah. Um, but again, what happened was the principles, and the first thing that yes. we'll end up talking about is the Holy, you know, the 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 work of the Holy yes. Spirit, and they they relied so much on the Holy Spirit. Um, but so we can get sidetracked on that, and I mean, how many of us have gotten caught up in looking at like Acts two forty two, like okay, right. here's the five sure. things they did. We just have to. We just know, need to do those things, right? Just do those yeah. things because it becomes about us and our work and our power. That's right. Um, and so, we say the prime, the primacy, I guess, of making disciples. But even that was kind of caught off guard. Like one of the early staff meetings we had, and and Paul had talked about that. And I'm new. I'm the discipleship minister, yeah. so I'm all about let's. You know, I'm going to yes. be mean about making disciples, kind of yeah. thing. And uh, like half of the people. I mean, we just have six people, seven people in a room. And, and half of us were like, no, like, that's not what it's all about. And so right. I was kind of like, I was taking it back a little bit. Like, what do you yes. mean? And, and, and so that was good. That was good to hear that. Um, and then immediately after that, I kind of 
when I, I found this uh, John Piper sermon, and he talks mm-hmm. about, you know, the primary function of the believer is to worship God. That is what God wants. That is what God yes. uh, lives, exists. Like you can't encounter God without falling down right. and worshiping God. And so that is what, what we live for. That's what we're all about. So that's really primary is that as an individual, I submit to and worship God in every way. Uh, in, in Piper's sermon or, you know, the article that I saw, what I really liked is it said, mission exists because worship doesn't. And, mm-hmm. and I just love that. Uh, and so that is, that is, so maybe making disciples become secondary, but, you know, I, maybe we can take for granted the worship in the church. Like we're not yes. yep. walking away from existing as a church, coming together, and worshiping God together. And, and hopefully that spills into our everyday lives that we're worshiping God every day of our life. Um, but because we look out and there's so many people in the world right. that have not come into that right relationship yes. with God uh, and so many people in the church yes. who right. have not right. come into that right, exactly right. worshipful relationship with God, uh, then that becomes our mission. Yes. Right? So, so our, our duty, like our life is about worshiping God, but our mission is about making yeah, disciples. Even there, the why is before the what. You know, why do we make disciples? Well, it is because mm-hmm. we want people to to get to that place where they are in the right relationship with God. They see God for who He is, helps them see themselves for who they are yeah. too. Um, I think some of the tension we sometimes feel, whether it be here and other places as well, um, even around the conversation about disciples, discipleship, and other things, is because you know. And I think before we we move further and talk about the principles. Um, you know, it, it is important as we've talked about before to have the right definitions of yeah. things in place too, or to have good definitions. You know, the mm-hmm. right is maybe, um, you know, we want to deal with this humbly. Uh, but I do think, you know, I'll, I'll point you real quick to a great um, resource for definitions. If you want to go to uh, discipleship.org and maybe do it after we, we get through with uh, the live stream here. Uh, but if you want to go to discipleship.org, you click on the about tab, then you go to affirmations. And then from there, look at number nine, and if you look at number nine, you'll see right there are, is a list of helpful definitions in and among them. One of them is the, the definition for the word disciple. And I just want to give you that real quick because that's going to be very helpful as we move forward. And it's the definition, by the way, that we use here as well, uh, that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And that comes directly, directly from Matthew 419. There's also on there, um, you know, definitions of discipleship, disciple making, disciple maker, a church, which is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, a disciple-making culture, which is helpful as well, uh, what a disciple-making church would look like, and then a disciple-making movement. And I also want to just read that definition really quickly, since that's what we're going to be referencing mm-hmm. when we start yeah. talking about uh, these eight principles that are common to disciple-making movements, and then just zoom in on a couple of those that we're, uh, we're going to highlight today and how we're trying to live those out here at Grace Chapel. Uh, the two that I think um, may be most central, actually, to, mm. to, to seeing culture change, by the way. So this is what, uh, you know, discipleship.org and I am I'm fully in agreement with decision, uh, th- this definition, I should say, of, of what it means to be a disciple-making movement or what disciple-making movements are. And by the way, there are more than 1,400 uh, counted numbered disciple mo- uh, disciple-making movements globally right now. Um, and I, I think that still um, most of the folks who are gathering that kind of data would say that we don't see any of that yet in North America, but we're, we're getting some that are close. So a disciple-making movement, here's the definition, exists when churches plant multiple churches within a few short years through gospel activity that has abundant fruit among the lost that multiplies these disciples, which is then people growing in obedience to all of Jesus' commands, or as you saw the definition before, 
who in turn replicate themselves in others so that we can see. Now, here's, here's one of the big qualifiers in this. At least four generations. So this disciple made this disciple who made this disciple. Four generations um, regularly produced in multiple streams. That means that you're seeing this disciple not just make this disciple make this disciple so that it's down line in a fashion. You're actually saying this disciple make this disciple who made these disciples who made these disciples. So you're seeing multiple streams developing. Uh, multiple streams of disciple-making activity, and these streams multiply consistently into new churches. Like I said, you can find that uh, definition at discipleship.org. It's a helpful definition, both as it relates to what it means to be a disciple, and then as we think uh, about movements as well. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Rob, with that, are you ready to move on to the principles? Yeah. Yeah. I think I guess maybe just throw out there because we talked, you know, we talked about not just throwing a system in. Yes. Focusing on the principles. The other thing, and you know, we're talking about these definitions and terminologies, because what I've seen happen is churches don't change the system at all. They just change the language. Right. So you know, what was our Sunday school is now our discipleship program, you know, or what was, you know, our, our small groups, that's now our, our missional communities. Those things don't function differently. They don't change what they're doing. Right. It's almost just kind of like, well, maybe if we give them a nice new name, you know, uh, put a nice new logo next to it, then that will inspire change. And, um, you know, so that, you know, hopefully we all know that that's not really going to be effective, but that's why I think it's so important to to define things, define things well. Yes. I found that to be helpful in me coming in as a discipleship minister. It's kind of like, oh well, what does that what does that mean? What does it mean? You know? <laughs> but, yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, th- and that's why again, we are so uh, so committed both here at Grace Chapel and as we engage with other churches as well to seeing uh, new cultures arise, mm-hmm. cultures that actually center on disciple making and understanding what it really means to be a disciple, what discipleship means, um, what it means to be a disciple making church as well. So we're going to jump into uh, eight principles, then we're going to boil that down to two that we've really been uh, sinking ourselves into that actually I believe are at the the heart of what it looks like to start to begin uh, to see a transforming culture. So I'll I'll kind of go through these eight and flesh them out a little bit as we go, Rob, at any point in time, if you want to jump in, uh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So so again, remember, we're talking about the why before the what and principles before practice. So here here are some of these principles. And so uh, these are things that, by the way, um, this is, uh, we, uh, this list of eight is something that Bobby Harrington, who is the the point man at, uh, at, um, 
at discipleship.org and also renew.org, uh, which, which I engage with, who I engage with as well. Uh, we have worked to distill this list over some time. And so, um, so these, these eight principles arrive at, uh, arise out of watching and, and having conversations with a lot of uh, leaders in disciple-making movements and others who are connected with that. So, uh, so the first thing that we see in disciple-making movements consistently, um, this is the first principle, is this radical dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I mean, and, I, I mean, and I, we use the word radical because it's radical for us. The wild thing is, is it's not radical for them. It's mm-hmm. normal for them, typically. You know, so if you go, some of you are familiar with Shadonke Johnson in Sierra Leone. Uh, it, it, they don't view what they're doing as radical anymore. It's just normal. It's the normal way of behaving as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. For us, what they're doing is radical, the way they depend upon the Holy Spirit. And sometimes within that, we see, um, we see fasting. We see prayer that really empowers the mission. Uh, the way I like to say that is that the people of God are dependent upon the presence of God for the work of God, which that is not always the way we functioned here. And that's it's very mm-hmm. often not the way we function here in the North American church. Uh, the second thing we see, and these, by the way, will be the, the two that we focus on as we talk and kind of zoom in. So we'll spend more time focusing on these two. Uh, the second thing that we see is that scripture prevails. Or scripture is the curriculum. Um, the way we talk about that is that we say that intentionality prevails in a simple effective and reproducible system uh, where faithfulness and sharing are actually at the core of that system. So as we engage scripture, as we study scripture, we're studying because we're, we're wanting to learn about God. We're wanting to learn about people and ourselves, but we're also wanting to learn what is God calling me to do and be faithfully, you know? So if I want to be faithful, what, what am I supposed to do in response to the scripture? And then how could I, or should I share this with someone else? And so we'll talk about a couple of examples that um, I think that uh, of tools that are being used, employed that that have that kind of thinking baked in, discovery Bible study and uh, the three thirds method. Uh, then the third principle is this: that the mission is clear all the time. You know that that is um, when when you engage with leaders of disciple making movements, you can see very clearly the mission is always before them. So that there is a, there's an urgency as it relates to reaching lost people and being disciples who make disciples. And, and, and that word urgency, I think, is very intentional. As we think about that, there is truly an urgency about the mission, uh, which means that it's being lived out daily. It's constantly before them. Um, with those things in mind, you would expect this next one, that disciple making is the culture. So it becomes the underlying cultural identity of the church. Um, it, it's reflected in the, you know, as the lived reality of the church. We see that in the values. We see that in the actions. We see that in the words, the, the language that's used within that church system, that culture. Um, so it, what you see is oftentimes, too, as that disciple-making culture is developed, and these are some of the tensions we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, uh, they start to rise to the top because the new cultural identity actually becomes the filter through which uh, strategic decisions are then kind of examined. It becomes the filter through which financial decisions yeah. are, are examined and processed. And so that's, that's at the heart of these DMMs, these disciple-making movements. Um, what you see as well is that, that leaders within those movements, uh, they make and coach disciple-makers. So the core leadership of the movement or the church, whatever you want to call it in that place, is not just focused on making disciples, but truly focused on making disciple makers. And for us, that's been a shift in our thinking. You know, seven years we were thinking, seven years ago, we were just thinking about what does it mean to be a disciple? And then we thought, okay, well, what does it mean to be a disciple maker? 
And now we're turning the corner to say, what does it mean to make disciple makers? Because really that's, that's how we keep this thing going for generations ahead is by making disciple makers. Uh, the sixth is that then disciple making expectations are high. I mean, there's this truly a joyful expectation that, that, and this is big, that every member is committed to being a disciple and becoming a disciple maker. Every member within that movement is committed to being a disciple and making a disciple and being a disciple maker as well. That's big because, you know, we, we don't experience that in many of our churches in North America. And so that really shows a contrast between what we do here and what's happening uh, in disciple making movements is that, you know, a, a lot of our folks, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, maybe we can use a language to say this, uh, Mark, Mark Sayers, who some of you may be familiar with, he's a, an Australian church leader, um, says that what we have in the Western church is a whole lot of consumers of the faith, but what we need is contenders for the faith. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what ha- that's what's happening in disciple-making movements. Um, you know, number seven is this, that there are constant stories of disciple-making. So the core leaders of the church hear stories on a weekly basis of formerly lost people who not only came to faith in Jesus, but are now actively engaged in making disciples themselves. And I can tell you this, as we, as we start to hear stories like that emerging here, on a fairly regular basis of people who are coming to faith because uh, our folks here are becoming disciple makers. That's becoming part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's an exciting thing to experience. And then the last thing is this is, um, you know, j- just to reemphasize one more time, some of these I know are somewhat redundant, but uh, as you know, as a church leader, you have to say the same <laughs> thing over and over again in multiple different ways uh, before people really catch on to what you're saying. And so the last one is this, is that, that you know, we, we see this, uh, one of the principles or one of the markers of disciple-making cultures is that we see disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who plant churches. And so the disciple-making activities of the church result in the planting of new churches and the creation of new uh, groups of disciples following Jesus and making more disciples. Uh, and you hear that story uh, over, over and over and over again. Rob, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. Two, two things with that is that are kind of like, maybe even seem like count, point counterpoint, but mm-hmm. one is when you start to get into, the, when you start to just say like, okay, can I absorb these into my own life? Like, what does this look like for me? Cause culture is going to start with you, right? Like it's going to start with me changing. If God can change me, then he'll start to change me and my family and then me and the people I'm around. Right. And then, and that's going to happen. But you start thinking this way and to contrast like, the old way of thinking, I guess, right, is say like taking the gospels to somebody, then it's we had this view of they that they are a potential consumer, right? Like it's right. like because how are we presenting the gospel? It's like oh well, you know, is Jesus something they'd be interested in? Is Jesus meeting a felt need? You know, it's like uh, is the church does the church meet their need? They need a to belong. You know, oh this is a church where you can belong. You know, like just so much of our messaging was wrapped <clears throat> around that. When you change into having more of this, these ideas, it just lifts your confidence. It's right. it's not like you're not approaching anybody in a squeamish way. You're not approaching anybody thinking like, oh, you know, will they will they want Jesus or not? It's kind of like we've got will Jesus they like Christ, my church or not? right? Yeah, like we've got Jesus Christ, the the you know the creator of the world, this the savior of the world. You know the the one the the Lamb of God. Like that's what we're offering. Like if you don't want that. And so it changes, it changes the way you communicate. And yes. like, um, we just had a conversation with uh, David uh, Putnam the other day mm-hmm. and, you know, just 
talking to him about that, where he's like, yeah, I'll talk to somebody. I'll invite them into this gospel centered relationship. But before that, we can make that go before we even start. I say, go find somebody else. That's right. That's interested in yeah. this because everybody, he's like, but he said, everybody right. knows somebody. So that's the entry. That's the entry. <laughs> right. You have to bring somebody else into the conversation right. as well. So, so they become a disciple maker on the front end. So it lifts confidence <clears throat> in like, no, we have got the truth. Like we've got the hope, like we've got the answer and not that we're going to be stingy with it, right. but, but raise the bar and not where, where I think we've had years and years in American Christianity, where we just kind of get that bar as low as, as we low possibly as can to hopefully get somebody's foot in the door and then we can drag them in. Uh, the other thing that does though, like it raises confidence and then it also raises humility, right? Yes. Because, because the more you come to this true understanding of what it is we have, then the more humble you become and the more aware of your own unworthiness you become, right? You know, so, mm-hmm. and that, and then I think that leads us into kind of back to principle number one, the radical yes. reliance on the Holy spirit, because yes. now it's like, I've got this. Cause I think about that. Why did I answer? Like, why did I respond? Like I had every wor- reason in the world to not become a Christian, to not give my life to Jesus. There's so many worldly pursuits that are attractive, but I denied mm-hmm. those things. I said, yes, I'll follow Jesus. Right. Yep. So, but I'm not better than anybody else. So, so it just brings a humility and, and just acknowledge that because the, why did I, because the Holy spirit did something in me. Right. Yes. And why will they only if the Holy spirit does something in them, not with my clever words, you know, my, my good approach, you know, the foundation that I, a friendship that I've laid down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no perfect formula in that. It's, it's just gotta be relying on the Holy spirit. Yeah. And we see several of the New Testament authors very, very honest about that. Paul, as he's writing the Corinthian church, we see that in Acts, you know, talk about Acts being the Acts of the Apostles when when really probably Acts was actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit moving before those disciples um, and then the disciples following the Holy Spirit, blessing them what they were doing and fruitfulness because he was already engaged in what was happening. And so I think that's very true. And and, and let's, you know, before we jump into, uh, to these two principles that we are that we have been uh, trying to integrate into our system um, for some time, um, you know. Let me just ask, you know, for those who are listening today, just just to be honest with yourself for a minute, just like we have been honest with ourselves. Um, you know, those of us who lead in, in you know institutional attractional churches, um, how how satisfied are we with what we often see? I mean, we're not because we often lament the fact that we're not seeing the things that happened in early acts happen within our churches. Right. We're not seeing the movement of the Holy Spirit. What we're seeing is and what we've actually sought out. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone in this. I've gone through, um, you know, I've hired leadership coaches. I've hired communications coaches. I've hired you know, multiple different coaches to try to help me become a better leader. And every time I've done that, what I've done is rely more upon the things I've learned there and not to say that that's not the way that the Holy spirit can work. Sure. But what that, when that moves us to rely on those things instead of the Holy spirit, mm-hmm. uh, we're setting ourselves up for, for, for at least falling well short of what God could have in store for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think many of us, you know, we're, we're not particularly satisfied. Many of us who have been leading attractional churches, um, we're not particularly satisfied with the things that we're seeing again, as we realize that Jesus told us to go and make disciples, but what we had instead done is go and make church members. And that what we need to be doing is making people who contend for the faith, but we've, what we've done is we've made a whole lot of people who consume the faith. Yeah. And then all the responsibility for what may happen 
falls upon a group of leaders. We talk about in the churches oftentimes, you know, either the 80-20 or the 90-10 rule, where you have, you know, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And in many churches, if we're honest, it could be 90 or 10% of the people doing 90% mm-hmm. of the work. And then everybody else is just consuming. And that we we came we came to the point where we were just not satisfied with that being the story of our church culture, which is again why we're talking about cultural transformation. Yeah. Um, and, and if, if you're watching today, I, I imagine you're probably not satisfied with that being the culture of, uh, of your church either. Right. So, um, and that, that goes well, yeah. to, you know, this is all under the conversation of how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? You know, and so that, you know, we, we talked about that not too long ago. It was like, well, um, just leaning in even more to this Holy spirit, yes. this Holy spirit stuff, you know, yes. is man, if, if we made a bunch of disciples, through our, like, what would we rather have a year from now? You know, a hundred disciples that we made yes. through our power or 10 yes. disciples that we made through the Holy Spirit power. And it's just no, I mean, a, as nice as, you know, having 90 more would be, we just know like the the effectiveness of those people, the, the direction of those people would just pale in comparison to, yes. to the 10 that the Holy Spirit was really yes, so working the Holy in. Spirit was leading and working in. Yeah. So, Okay. So we're going to talk now about what um, what we have really been sinking ourselves into here at Grace Chapel for the sake of seeing our culture transformed. And this is where, you know, as we've been talking about principles, we're going to try to get a little bit more granular. And this is where things, if you're a practical person, will, will become also a little bit more practical, because I know that that is often what people are looking for. <laughs> yeah. um, and so let me first say, as we start to talk about, you know, this, this first principle uh, of embracing a radical reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, there may be some of you who are uh, listening with some tension because you, by the way, like us, uh, may come from a, a highly intellectual uh, Christian tradition. You know, mm-hmm. and, and many of our uh, denominations, certainly uh, stateside in North America, we do come out of a, a very highly intellectual tradition because that is actually the culture of of kind of the Western world. Yeah, you know, we we have become in a, you know uh, Charles Taylor's a secular age is a great well. It's a 900-page book to read about that, so maybe you know you want to audible it or, or read. There's some condensed versions of that, but 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 basically, in a nutshell, what you need to know what Taylor discovered about Western society in general is that we are at a place where we have a hard time bringing anything or, or, or accepting any spiritual reality within our uh, our framework or paradigm, and that that makes it difficult for us mm-hmm. to engage with the Holy Spirit which is not true about a lot of people in the global South. They, they are naturally spiritually inclined and we tend to be naturally uninclined, uh, you know, to engage spiritually. And so there is a barrier there, both within, I think, you know, our our cultural setting within the Western cultural setting, but also within many of our, our churches, there is a barrier because we're not exactly sure what to do with the Holy spirit. Um, in fact, uh, let me uh, read you real quick, and, and some of you may be familiar with uh, this particular quote. Uh, it's uh, A.W. Tozer. Um, this is what Tozer says. He says, our mistake, um, and, and I love the idea of revival, by the way. Uh, I mean, I'm very passionate about seeing revival come, but I, I want to see it happen on, on the Holy Spirit's terms. And so this is what Tozer says. He says, our mistake is that we want God to send revival on our terms. We want to get the power of God into our hands to call it to us that it may work for us in promoting and further furthering our kind of Christianity. And we've just been talking about mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the kind of Christianity that is the North American brand of Christianity. So Tozer says this, and this is part of the problem. He says, 
We still want to be in charge, guiding the chariot through the religious sky in the direction we want it to go, shouting glory to God, but modestly accepting a share of the glory for ourselves in a nice, inoffensive sort of way, a little bit of tongue in cheek there, I would imagine. So Tozer goes on to say this, we are calling on God to send fire on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that they are our altars and not God's. Now, listen to what Tozer says about really the North American church. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. I want to pause just for a second to let that sink in with you. Again, what Tozer is saying, if if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, and I think his words uh, were true um, 50, 60 years ago when he wrote these, they're they're true in many ways today. If the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from today's church, 95% of what happens would go on. And the opposite would be true of the early church. He says this, and this is where the quote lands. He says, this is the tragedy and woe of the hour that we neglect the most important one who could possibly be in our midst, the Holy Spirit of God. And so you know, we, we decided here, now certainly I think maybe even this was before we really started to identify these particular eight principles, we had already started moving in a direction here at Grace Chapel to say, we don't want anything like that to be true about us. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, I remember reading uh, the Francis Chan book, Forgotten God, where, where he says this, he says, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. In fact, the kind of where we landed here and what I said in a message series a while back is that God, we want your presence here, whatever that means. We need your Holy Spirit in our lives and in our midst. And so that that's the kind of people we want to be, mm-hmm. is a people who say, God, we want your presence here, no matter what that means. Right. Even if we're a little nervous of what that might look like, God, we want your presence here. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. I mean, that's a cultural change, right? So that's our history is, hey, we, we are smart. We can read the Bible and figure it out. Right? Yes. In fact, that's what a lot of church culture clashes were about, right? Like, yeah, our truth is better than your truth. We figured it out better, better than you'd figured it out. Yep. You know, so we're right and you're wrong. So that's why our church is better. You know, like all those things. And if we can, we can intellectually mm-hmm. figure it out, then the, it's just such an easy sidestep to be like, well, well, we can do it. We can do it on our own power. Yes. And, and, and so really where does the Holy Spirit fit in there? To the point where some people's view of the Holy Spirit was, 
the Holy Spirit doesn't really work anymore, or the Holy Spirit is just completely contained within the Word of God. Right. You know, and and um, I don't know. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any more to say out of that, but but just yes. you know, uh, that's not. I, we understand that that is not a power that's going to get us where God wants us to go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, you know, when you when you look again at what what Tozer is pointing out, saying, you know, in the modern or in the North American church, if the Holy Spirit was removed, ninety five percent of what happens would continue to happen. Nobody would know the difference. Us looking at ourselves, and I think many, you know, whoever's listening and watching, I'm sure saying, you know, that, that's very convicting. I don't want that to be true about us uh, as well. So we decided that things had to change mm-hmm. because reflectively, we knew um, that was too true about us anyway. Whether it was 100% true about us or not, right. it was too true about us anyway. And we want the Holy Spirit to be the leader in this. And that's what we see happening in disciple making movements. Incredibly. Uh, dependent upon the movement of the Holy Spirit before we move. And yeah. so let me just give you a few things that, that we have done on a practical level. Um, and again, so this is where you'll hear the patience in this. Um, three years ago, we started praying with a group on Monday mornings, uh, just about every Monday morning, almost without fail. Uh, we meet, um, you know, during the COVID pandemic times over Zoom, but, uh, you know, in person uh, before that as well. Uh, we meet to pray, and we met to pray for renewal, revival, and awakening, knowing that only God could do that, and only God could make that happen. You know, mm-hmm. so when we see in Acts three nineteen this promise of times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord, what we determined is we wanted the presence of the Lord to be here with us, so that we could continually experience these times of refreshing. Which you can say maybe at the personal level looks like renewal. Mm-hmm. At kind of the corporate level, looks like revival when you see a church be revived because God's presence and spirit are, are there in a way that is undeniable. And then what happens out of that revival, it starts to bleed over into the community because we all engage with people. I mean, every one of us does. And that's why every one of us can be a disciple maker. Wherever you go, wherever, you're, uh, wherever your church members, the disciples that meet at your church mm-hmm. uh, go throughout the week. That experience, if revival is taking place at the corporate level, will bleed out into the community just because. I mean, that's what it does. God provides us opportunities in that. So we believe that we were convicted that we had to start praying for God to bring, not for us to manufacture, you know, God to bring renewal on the personal level. And we knew as a leadership, it had to start with us. Yeah. We couldn't count for the, you know, we couldn't count on it to happen with anybody else. It had to be us surrendering ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit in very real ways and figuring out what that looked like and what that meant as God led us. Then beyond that, starting to pray for renewal for individuals within our church as well, that individuals within the church would start to experience renewal, renewal, that God would then bring us together so that we could start to experience revival within this church because revival begins with the people of God and then that awakening would spread into our community. So that's that's three years now we've been praying for that. Kind of an interesting story in that there was, uh, there was a time when uh, one of the elders, um, I would say probably the elders of our church that had been part of that, uh, that, that prayer time every Monday morning came to me, I'd say about a year ago. So we've been praying maybe close to two years at that point and said, you know, Paul, you, you get tired of praying for renewal, revival, and awakening <laughs> and, and not really maybe seeing it happen on a grand scale. We've been praying for this for, for two years now. Um, you know, and it was, it was interesting because uh, 
one of the members of, of my small group had just had just shared the story of Elijah praying for for rain for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had that kind of imagery in my mind, but also the knowledge that these things take time. We are, again, we're, we're, we're committed to the established church. We want to see these things happen within and out of the overflow of the established church. And so three years, you know, I, I'm not, I mean, I, well, I mean, we're seeing things happen at this point in time. Sure. So, so that is extremely encouraging, but even if you've been praying for three months or one year or then two years and you don't see much happen, you continue to pray because what we know about a lot of revivals that began, people were praying for sometimes for decades before God moved, but it was a process of surrendering to God and in prayer, inviting him to come. We also so, know from yeah. the scriptures that anytime any individual or group of people tried to have a timeline that wasn't God's timeline. Yes. That it didn't really work out that well for them. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> you know, whether it be the Israelites or Abraham, you know, whatever it might be. That's right. Uh, the, you know, at different points, we see that it, when God's going to make it happen, it's going to happen. Yes. So even as we look at bringing in principles, I mean, there are times when we want it to happen now, but again, we're praying for a movement of God. So then we're patient and we're trusting that God is going to do uh, that moving. So I, I would challenge you, you know, to, to make, maybe make that a part of what you're doing is, is to pray with a, with a group of leaders. Again, we're not saying do exactly what we're doing, but we've got to find a way to live out some of these principles right. if we're going to see these things in play. So then uh, a couple of years ago, um, we, we determined that we were going to begin every January and we've had some seasons throughout the year where we do this as well, but every January with a time where we're calling our folks into prayer and fasting for, for nearly a month. Um, and we're giving them different ways to pray and fast as my friend Shadonke Johnson says, especially when we're talking about fasting, um, you start small with the hope of ending big. And so we're not calling on anybody to uh, all of a sudden give up you know, food and water for an entire month uh, as the way that they make their on-ramp into this, uh, this moment of praying and fasting for the Holy Spirit to move. Uh, and again, there's a lot we don't understand about praying, praying and fasting and why God chooses to move when we pray mm-hmm. and fast. All I can say is that through our experience and through our observation of what happens in Scripture, in the pages of Scripture, God moves when people pray and yeah. fast. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it works. And so we made a commitment to, to do that um, every January and then have periods throughout the year where we would call our people for, for smaller times into prayer and fasting so that we would be more reliant upon the Holy Spirit. And that is one of the great things that fasting teaches us to do is to truly be reliant upon God. Mm-hmm. So one of the, maybe the byproducts of fasting is that we come to where we rely on God more than we do on ourselves. Okay. So... <clears throat> um, then one of the things that we did this uh, this year was we determined that we needed to um, to to kind of lead our folks in embracing some very mission centered prayers. Uh, and the really neat thing about those mission centered prayers is we discovered as we're praying these particular mission centered prayers, how dependent we truly are on the presence of God for God to move. Um, let me give you just some examples. So in, in January, as we're calling our people to praying and fasting. We were asking our folks to set their alarms for 10.02 every morning, and I'll explain that in just a second, and then 4.24, or 4.34, 4.36, depending on how people slice that, um, you know, every afternoon. And, and here's the reason why. Uh, we believe that two, uh, two very mission-centered prayers that are incorporated within the pages of Scripture, one comes from Luke chapter 10, 
verse two, another one from Colossians chapter four, either verses two through four, we'll just say two through six. That whole, that whole section is uh, fantastic as the apostle Paul is asking the Colossian Christians first to pray for him and then that they should be praying for themselves as well. So the first one from Luke chapter two, Jesus tells the 72 that he's about to send out on mission. He tells them to be praying that God, who is the Lord of the harvest, would be at work to send more workers into the harvest field because the workers are few, but the harvest is plenty. Actually says the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Um, In that, we learn several things. We learn of our need to be dependent upon God for the harvest because God is the one who's the Lord of the harvest. Mm -hmm. He's also the one that seems to actually raise up and send out workers into the harvest. So what are we called to do? Well, we're called to be faithful in our response and also faithful in prayer, uh, just as the 72 were called to be. And so we asked our folks at 1002 every day, no matter where you were, pray this prayer. And then in the afternoons at 424, um, is where I set my clock and some other people I said, said it, you know, as I said, said it at other times, but we asked our folks to be in prayer just as the Paul asked the Colossian Christians to be in prayer for him, that God would open up doors for the message, that he would have the ability to communicate it clearly. Hmm. And then he tells the Colossian Christians, make the most of every, every opportunity and, and let your conversations be seasoned with salt. Right. And so here, the apostle Paul is setting, I think, um, maybe a model for how we could pray mm-hmm. in, in a very mission-centered way, asking God to be, again, God is the one who opens doors, even for the Apostle Paul, who had a lot of learning and, and probably did have eloquence, even though he cho- chose not to engage that way sometimes. He was asking God to open doors. And then beyond that, he's also asking God to give him the ability. So God is the one that gives the ability and the opportunity. And so as we started to pray, you know, those were some things that, that we, uh, we were calling our folks into doing. And it's amazing the things, the stories we've heard that have come out of that, just encouraging our people to pray those two prayers for a month during their time uh, of praying and fasting. So I'll, I'm, Rob, I'm going to shift to you real quick because you're going to, yeah. you know, you work with our small groups and maybe you can give some examples of how this connects with small group thinking too. Yeah. One thing I'll throw out there uh, before I make that shift is... You know, uh, Paul's title here is lead minister, and you know, that's appropriate because in all of these efforts, he's not just somebody who's been like, well, this is a good idea. You guys should go do that. But in everything that we've talked about so far, he's take, he's really has taken the lead, right? So he's, he's done it first. So like even praying Luke 10 too, uh, we called the congregation into that on like January 12th or something like that. Uh, but Paul had been doing it already for a month or a couple of weeks before mm-hmm. that. Um, so that that I don't know if everybody in the church knows that, but several of us do, and that is an encouragement. You know, an encouragement to you if that's your role to not just think, "Oh yeah, this is this mm-hmm. will be good for them," um, but if you're going to be committed to to lead in that. So yeah, I get to work with small groups, and and so that's a tough thing because there's a lot. You know, the jury's out on small groups. You know, do they? Do they work? Do they not work? What are they, you know, and, and just trying to figure that out. But uh, I'm going into it thinking like, no, small groups are good, you know, and, and small groups can be harnessed for disciple making. And in that idea, in this idea of a radical reliance on the Holy Spirit, uh, just kind of some of the reading I've done in the past, I think uh, Josh Hunt, those on the research that he's done. And I, there's a, a book called Small Groups, Big Impact. Uh, they did some research and Unanimous across the board, they find the the number one indicator for a small group leader 
for them having a, a healthy or good, vibrant group, growing group, is not how good the teaching is, mm-hmm. not how good the food is, not how good the hosting is, not how organized the group is. But the number one thing consistently comes down to uh, it is the small group leader praying for yeah. their small group. And so just kind of trying to put that in some of the training, some of the communication mm-hmm. uh, that I have with small group leaders is like, look, these things are important. Like, do I, do I want you to have a good lesson prepared? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, do I want you to be organized and have good communication with the group? Absolutely. But if the number one thing that we really want for all the small group leaders to have is an active prayer life that they're, they're mm-hmm. actively praying uh, for their small groups. And then, and then teaching small groups when you get together, you know, and this is just kind of uh, some missional stuff, but it's, you know, we're relying on the Holy spirit, the Holy spirit, a lot is what kind of even prompts a prayer request, you know, like, oh, here's somebody that's in my life that I have concern for that's suffering in some way. And then to kind of reimagine all of those prayer requests is, okay, yeah, there's something inside of you that initially made you say, let's pray for this person. And right. that is in itself enough, right? That is, that is huge, right? If we believe in the power of God, mm-hmm. the power of prayer, power of the Holy Spirit, then that's, that's amazing to, to even just be praying for that person. But then what if we could also ask, well, what's, what if God is using us as the answer to, yes. the, to said prayer request? And so letting the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. then come back and work in us as we're praying or after we're done praying, say, okay, well, how, how are we being prompted now? So almost seeing every single prayer request is an opportunity for groups uh, to do mission together. Yeah. And, and, and so uh, really seeing and encouraging uh, groups to, to see themselves as disciple-making teams. And I'll talk about that again, maybe a little later. Yep. Um, but uh, I, I think for me, that's one thing that has always kind of held me back is evangelism or disciple-making was always like, all right, you, Rob, as an individual must go and start talking and engaging with someone. Right. And then on your own, have a Bible study with them. And then on your own, do X, Y, or Z. And that's daunting. That's that's mm-hmm. that's a lot to take on. Uh, but if I can reimagine that, okay, now I've got this group of eight or ten or twelve adults that I meet with on a regular mm-hmm. basis, and now we are a team. I always think back to just even being in high school, and on Wednesday nights we we would have like a Bible study on Wednesday nights, and afterwards we'd go to an ice cream shop, and we were all together. And how easy it was for us to mm-hmm. engage the wait right. staff. And, and talk about Jesus' Bible-centered things. It, yes. it just happened almost on a weekly basis. Why? Because we, we were that much more bold when we had yes. each other and when we were with each other. So just kind of, I mean, that's getting a, a little away from the reliance on the Holy Spirit, but, but seeing uh, our, our small groups as disciple-making teams and then really just trying to encourage prayer as a central part of what we do together and then how that spurs us on to action. The other way uh, that that has happened is in our staff meetings. You know, so we meet, uh, we have a, a more involved meeting on Tuesday mornings. Mm-hmm. And that even even just over the course of the last several months has turned to more and more time on the front end of that meeting, right. being committed to spending time with God, spending time in prayer. Yes. You know, understanding that we can talk all day, we can strategize, we right. can make all of our best plans. But if the Lord's not the builder of the house, then what's That's the point, right. really? And and I love that. Even this past week, just a couple of days ago, um, several of us kind of talking about this. Um, 
this struggle, right? Like kind of as, as we're moving into relying on the Holy Spirit more, there's always a tug, right? Yes. The flesh is tugging. The, the I can do it is tugging. The I'm clever enough or I've, I can come up with the idea or I'm going to you know, do something exciting, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, just is constantly uh, trying to pull us back into that. That's how we lived and operated in ministry for so long. And so, uh, so just, you know, that was kind of a common theme uh, in some of the past meetings mm-hmm. is someone stepping up and kind of confessing, like, we've been working on this program or this event or this lesson, yep. and I've been trying to make too much of it, too much of it is coming out of me. And not enough is coming out of the Lord. So again, this gets to the culture of what we're trying to build. That's right. Uh, it starts with leaders. It, it starts with, and if we can make this change and we, that's just going to come out in our language, how we talk to each other, how we talk to people not in that leadership circle, how we talk to people in our small groups, how we talk to our family members. And that's going to catch on as people, right? And they say vision is caught, not, right, taught. not taught. You know, that's so exactly that right. kind of language. And they go, yeah, this is who we are. This is not just something we do. It's not just an event. We're not just going to go to a, a prayer event. Like this is who we are. These are the people we're becoming. That's exactly we, we rely right. on the Holy Spirit for everything. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So we've uh, we've got roughly ten minutes left. I okay. uh, just got a notification from Jason. <laughs> uh, very kind of him. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the second piece of of this kind of cultural transformation or what helps shift. Uh, the culture and one of the, the principles that we see very active in disciple making movements, and that's scripture is the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we talked about that in the sense of tools already. And so, I'm just going to share a little bit again and talk a little bit more about what uh, these two tools, either the Discovery Bible Study Method or the Three Thirds Method, mm-hmm. they have a lot of things in common. Um, they have some checks on, on accountability. How are you faithful to what you committed to the previous time? Uh, you commit to being faithful again to whatever whatever you feel God is leading to in a passage baked into that tool. And so what you're doing is looking at scripture. You're asking, what do we see and what do we learn about God in this in the, through this passage? What do we learn about people? What do I learn about myself? What is God calling me to do and who's God calling me to share with? But all of that is based and rooted in scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, that's very different from the way a lot of us have done, uh, have, have either engaged with scripture in many of our traditions what we're talking about truly here is, is an obedience-based discipleship. Yeah. Um, and that is something that is, is, again, very different from the way that many of us have, uh, have engaged with Scripture before. You know, again, if, when, within our intellectual tradition, we grow up learning Scripture. And the right. more Scripture you learn, I mean, as some of you guys may be familiar with this language. I mean, I grew up going to things we called Bible Bowls, where one youth group would compete against another youth group with all everything they knew out of the book of Second Kings. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and whoever won was the Bible Bowl champion. Um, you know, and so that, that was what we were trying to do as opposed to uh, how are we taking these things that we are learning from Scripture and applying them so that we are obedient to what God is calling us into? And how are we learning now then to turn around and share those things as well? And so when we make that shift, what we start to see, and again, when you look at what is at the heart of revival, there are two things that seem to be present every time revival breaks out. It's one, God's presence is there in, in a measurable and radical way. And that begins when people desire the presence of God. So God, we want you here. The second is you see people return to faithfulness to the things of God. So the people of God embrace faithfulness to the things of God as seen in the word of God. Mm-hmm. That's the way that tends to work. It doesn't work any other way, right? So it's it's not the people of God looking at scripture and saying, well, we'll do some of that and not some of that. 
We see the people of God, so we can use the word radical again, and we see this in disciple-making movements. The Bible says it, we do it. Yeah. Right? So that's that's kind of different from, from what we've done. Um, that so, also makes yeah. it extremely, you know, in this uh, principle, we talked about the simplicity and the reproducibility of it, uh, and that goes hand in hand, right? So we've got a scholar in front of a classroom. Uh, how many people really feel like, okay, I could do this next week. I could yes. to teach this class or, you know, there's a lot of intimidation there. Uh, but when it's, when it's just kind of, when it's the Holy spirit is the guide and we're letting yes. the, the scripture be the curriculum, then you can send people out in confidence because exactly they're right. not trying to uh, teach, you know, loads of doctrine, you know, and like these intricate things, it's just, what does this scripture say and how do we, how can we obey it? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> That you can take that anybody, I mean, not exactly any, right. you know, but most of us can take that and, and reproduce that. Yeah, it's simple. It's reproducible. And actually where we find these things taking root within the North American culture first is often within uh, groups within high schools. So we yeah. see, we see uh, teenagers in high schools saying that's simple. I can do it. But then what happens at the adult level is we look at that and we say, that's too simple. <laughs> that's too simple, right? So, so there are some barriers in, mm-hmm. into getting this going sometimes within existing churches. Um, you know, I'll even say for a small group that I, uh, that I began with this model because we were so used to uh, engaging scripture in a different way. And what we do here at Grace Chapel is, is every sermon, every message series, uh, we have the main texts. And on one side of a bookmark and on the other side of the bookmark, we have the six questions that we ask people to work through that are paired with a three-thirds style for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are handed out at the beginning of every month. And we're encouraging small groups. This is an ongoing process for us. Right. You know, some people are more resistant to it than others, but then we've got small groups adopting this, even the ones that are adopting it, working through it, learning yeah. what this looks like. But then once this starts to become ingrained within the culture of a small group or a disciple-making group that you're leading, yeah. you start to hear, you know, when the question is asked, how did you obey this? How are you faithful to this last week? You get a story that's shared with that. Yeah. So now the stories are not just being shared by leaders because leaders are picking up on what's going on in the whole church. It's stories arising out of small groups and disciple-making groups. And then the stories of how did, did you share this with anybody? And it's amazing sometimes the stories you can hear is somebody will say, Yes, I shared this with a coworker in a situation where this coworker is not even not a believer at all. Or, or for for me, I've got a group of guys that I've been engaging with for a while, and one of them is sort of a believer. He's working his way mm-hmm. that direction. But when we come and ask the question, "How did you share this?" or "Who did you share this with?" he turns around and he says, "You know, well, a situation came up, and my wife and I were talking about this thing, and I just turned around and shared this." So here you have somebody who is not even a believer yet. Mm-hmm or is, is working his way toward that. It's, it's a discipleship journey, turning around and sharing something he learned out of scripture with, with his wife, which, which was an awesome thing, a very natural thing. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the, the two things that, you know, we're focusing on here, just to kind of reiterate, as I know we have to wrap this up and then I'll give you a, a comment here to land the plane, Rob, is, is that <laughs> we, want to be, um, we want to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and we want God's presence here, whatever that means. And, and that is, that is, that is an absolute starter for, for seeing culture change and transform as mm-hmm. we become Holy Spirit led instead of clever idea led. Right. And then we want scripture to be what is teaching us and leading us the Holy Spirit inspired word of scripture. And we want people to see how scripture applies within their lives and uh, begins conversations with others and how out of that discipling make disciple making relationships can begin before 
you know, way before somebody's following Jesus. Right. It begins in that moment. You begin to have conversations about Jesus um, again. So that we got the eight principles. Those are the two that we're that we've really been dedicated uh, to uh, yeah. to trying to incorporate within within our our group of uh, Jesus followers. Here. And honestly, even those two things, some someone, I mean. I, you know, someone could have assessed Grace Chapel five years ago and said, yeah, we're doing that, mm. right? Like, and, and so some of it is very subtle, but it, some of it is very deep, right? You know, it's like, yes. so scripture is curriculum. You could have somebody get up in front of a thousand people as the master class teacher and say, yeah, scripture is my curriculum. Yes. That's not what we're talking about. It's like in a way that, you know, this is, this is it. Like yes. we're not throwing a bunch of extras onto it. We're not, you know, we still have preaching and teaching and things like that, but just kind of moving towards those things. Um, so yeah, culture, just a, a couple of quick things thrown out there, like culture and language are so uniquely tied together. Yes. And so what we're looking at is then disciple making is this is so important. How to asking the question of every ministry, mm-hmm. every minister, every, you know, every um, small group uh, asking the question of, you know, every program, how does disciple making what does it look like? Is it happening within this? Does this program promote disciple making? And so that, you know, so for me, the first couple of months I'm here, uh, it's really been focused on small groups. And so that's what I could talk about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but but just looking to see how can we bake mission, this mission of making disciples that's right. into everything we do. Um, yes. and and that's that's kind of that's that's the big that's the big picture. The, so those principles, but then asking that question every time something comes up or even the existing things. Or going to existing groups is having those conversations with those leaders. That's right. All right, <clears throat> what does this look like? And that's been exciting. Yeah, no doubt. So listen, we're we're thankful that you joined us today. Hope hope that the, the conversation has been helpful. Look forward to more opportunities to engaging uh, with you all in the future. And, and God bless you as uh, as you are Holy Spirit led and embrace the mission of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. And I want to ask you to do two things before I let you go. Number one, if you haven't already, please click subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Number two, I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts by leaving some feedback or a review on one of those apps where you're listening to this podcast. That would just be amazing. So thank you in advance for that. All right, everyone, I hope that you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on the next episode. See ya.